Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Our Heavenly Father, we're about to open your Word now. We're going to look especially at some of the words of your Son, the red letter ones, words that He spoke purposefully, meaningfully, spoke to his disciples and spoke to us that our lives might be affected by them. So, Father, may the same spirit that walked with him just open our minds and our hearts to understand and to apply these truths today. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for the sake of his church. Amen. Two weeks from today, it will be Easter, Resurrection Day. The day that the entire world is forced to consider whether or not Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Forced as well to consider the meaning of both his death and his resurrection. Today's red letter scripture and message will hopefully prepare each of us to assist those around us in that consideration. So here it is. A statement Jesus made immediately before the events of Easter week began to unfold. Today's red red letter scripture, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man, for even, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I just want to take that statement apart, look at the three key phrases that are in it, and talk our way through what Jesus was saying and what it means and how we might apply it in our lives. So here we go. The first phrase is this much, not come to be served. Comes out of that early statement, even the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite reference for himself, the Son of Man, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Now, really, that's a pretty unusual purpose and perspective on one's life. We could say, as the title of this message this morning does, that this is actually a purpose like no other. Consider for a moment this morning what we could call the typical human perspective. Most human beings, how many of us are human beings here this morning? Okay, most human beings, somewhere along the way, if not every step of the way of their entire life, kind of have this perspective when they look at other people. They say, your purpose, your purpose in life is to serve me, to bring me satisfaction in some way as you meet my needs. Make me feel good. Validate me. Honor and applaud me. Now, if they could talk, 
Those would be the words that would come out of every newborn's mouth. First time the, the mom and the dad see this little one in the hospital nursery. On the way home from the hospital, coming to the house for the first time, as this little one would lay down the rules. And if she or he could speak, you could hear them saying, your purpose, mom and dad, in life is to serve me, to bring me satisfaction as you meet my needs. Make me feel good, validate me, honor and applaud me. And the truth of it is, long after we human beings become familiar with the human language. Those words occupy a central part in our brains. Those words communicate the typical human perspective. Serve me. Make me feel special. Honor me. Consider, and we can find this in the scripture, especially in the passage we're looking at today, consider the perspective of Jesus' own apostles. They were pretty typical. Today's red-letter scripture grows out of a situation that they created that caused Jesus to say what he said. It's a situation created by two of them, James and John. It's recorded just a few verses before the verses we read. Mark chapter 10, verse 37, James and John came to Jesus privately and they basically asked Jesus to honor them. Honor us with key positions in the kingdom. Now here's what they actually said. Mark 10, 37, let us sit. Now this is James and John. Let us sit at your right hand and at your left hand in your glory. Let us sit. At your right hand, let one of us, and the other at your left hand, in your glory. They were saying they wanted advantage over the other disciples. They wanted to be recognized as the top two. The right hand man, and the left hand man, right over here, when Jesus is sitting in his glory. In his kingdom, when the whole world, at least the nation of Israel, is acknowledging him as their king, they wanted the whole assembly to look to the right and the left and see James and John, Jesus' top two men. Perhaps, if you think about it for a minute, think humanly, perhaps they especially wanted to elevate themselves above Peter. Peter was the one Jesus always chose to go along with them. For instance, Peter, James, and John were taken with Jesus into the bedroom of the little girl who had died, remember? And then Jesus raised her back to life. He took three men with him, Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were the only disciples to witness Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. There he was. A few human beings seeing him with all his divine glory just 
shining out from him, they were overwhelmed. Later on, both John and Peter, in the letters they wrote, would talk about the glory they had seen. They convinced them once and for all that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But Jesus just took three of his twelve up on that mountain with him, Peter, James, and John. Peter would ask, or Jesus would ask Peter, James, and John to pray with and to watch over him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like they were just special companions of his. In his moment of agony, he went forward a ways in that garden and he took Peter, James, and John with him and he said, now you sit here and you pray and watch while I pray. For some reason, Jesus saw them as a trio while James and John preferred remaining a duo. They figured out one place of honor and privilege that was only big enough for two, and they asked for it. Unless Jesus developed a third hand, there's only room for two. Let one sit on your right hand, let the other sit on your left hand when you come into glory. And let Peter just wish he was one of us. Only two. Well, what about the other ten now? Peter's now reduced in their mind just down to one of the ten. We got the two and we got the ten. How did they respond? Well, we read in Mark chapter 10, verse 41, the scripture says the other ten were indignant. How many of you, if you were one of the ten, and you actually heard that James and John had tried to go over your head and around your back and, and weasel out the key places in the kingdom for themselves, how would you feel? Would you say, well, I understand that. They're the best we got. They deserve it. James and John. The Bible says they, the others were indignant. How could they possibly think that they deserve such a spot when all of the other ten could say, I know I deserve at least one of those? They were indignant. How dare they try to elevate themselves over the rest of us? And I can just imagine in my mind that when it came to that discussion, the ten versus the two, Peter was probably the main spokesman of the ten. I would imagine there, there had been the same kind of reaction every one of those times when Jesus would pick out the three. You just had nine that felt like they had been left out. Nine that wondered, why not me? Why not me? Why always those three guys? It's human nature. Why doesn't Jesus honor us that way? We're walking with him. We've given up everything, just like Peter, James, and John have. The Gospels tell us, if you read through the four of them, and just kind of look for this one thing. The Gospels tell us that frequently, as the disciples were walking along with Jesus, they would have arguments 
debates, verbal battles perhaps over who was the greatest. The Bible says they did that regularly. Always looking for a pecking order. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? It's human nature. If you're the great one, then the others, what? They serve you. And we all want to be served. So the disciples definitely shared in that typical human perspective as far as wanting to be the one who is served, recognized, and honored. And to say, that's my, that's my purpose in life, to get to that level. Get to that level where I'm being honored, I'm being recognized, and others are serving me, and I, I just know it'll feel great. Well, what a contrast was the perspective shared by Jesus. Jesus listened to all that debate. And then he stepped right into the middle of it. In Mark chapter 10, verses 42 and 43, Jesus says to them, Now, fellas, that's how the Gentiles. Now, you got to understand, to Jews, the whole world was divided into two parts. Two kinds of people. You got your basic Jews, and then everybody else is a Gentile. Gentile was just a non-Jew. The Jews were God's chosen people. The Gentiles, well, they're just sinners. And they live like sinners. They function like sinners. Now Jesus is watching these Jewish men in the way they're behaving. Can you imagine the, the impact of his words when he says to them, fellas, what you're doing right now, that's how the Gentiles behave. We could just say, that's the way the unbelievers behave. The people who don't know God. The people who don't have the Holy Spirit making any adjustments in their life at all. The people who don't have the Word of God, red letters especially, that tell us how Jesus would want us to live and demonstrating how he lived himself. That's how the Gentiles behave. Jesus said, they lord it over. Oh, don't raise your hand because I'm not going to raise mine. Have you ever experienced the opportunity and taking advantage of the opportunity to lord it over somebody? To be the person who gives the command. Here's what I want you to do. And you're in a position of authority where they do it. And while you're doing it, you ask them to do, you tell them to do something that will benefit you. And by the way, bring me my coffee too. And by the way, you just lord it over them. Probably because somewhere in your life in that very same situation, somebody previously had lorded it over you. And you say, boy, when I get that job, when I get in that position, when I get old enough, says the child, once I'm 18, I'm going to at least lord it over me. My parents aren't going to do it anymore. That's how Gentiles, the unbelievers, behave. They lord it over and they exercise authority wherever they can. Because life is all about power to the unbeliever. Power and authority and control 
Those are all foreign terms to us today, aren't they? Nobody in this country would be seeking power or authority or control over huge groups of people. That's human nature. That's the way unbelievers function. That's the way the Gentiles just do their thing. Get degrees. Get experience. Get wealth. Make a name for yourself. Get to the place where people say, your wish is my command. That's a great place to be, people think. Whatever I say, people will do. And I deserve it. I worked hard for this. I've arrived at this level. In the military, there's this expression, rank has its privileges. The general lives a different kind of life than the private. And there are some privates who through hard work arrive all the way up to become generals. And they want to. And once they are, they don't remember and feel sympathetic toward the private. They function like a general. And rank has its privileges. See, Jesus would say, and we would say today, fellas, that's a worldly attitude. That's a fallen human perspective. Those are the desires and the practices that grow out of a sinful, fallen nature. That's the way it is with those who are untouched by the grace of God. However, Jesus then said, after he says, that's how the Gentiles are. They lord it over. He then says these words, not so with you. That's interesting because he just watched them doing that very thing. Arguing about who's the greatest. Arguing about how dare James and John try to promote themselves and James and John trying to promote themselves. And yet Jesus says, not so with you. Well, that must mean the future because they're doing it right now. They're showing themselves to be fallen human beings, self-centered and all of that. But Jesus says, he might as well have said, no more. No more. I've seen it. I've heard it. You know it right now. But I'm telling you, no more. Not if you're going to be one of mine. See, because he could have also added, not so with me either. But they already knew that was true of him. See, that's why he said, for even... For even the Son of Man came not to be served. They knew he had been serving his entire life. And it's like, if the Son of God doesn't come to be served, how come you guys still think you should be served? Even I do not have that perspective. How come you have it? That's why even. For even. Come on, guys, get with the program. If you're going to follow me, be like it. And so here we come to the second term, second phrase in the text. Just these three words, but to serve. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. 
In those three words, Jesus shared an incredible kingdom perspective. I am here to serve you. I am here to seek to meet your needs however I can. Nothing can be more contrary to that normal human perspective that says, you are here to serve me. But that's how Jesus viewed things. That's how he did things. Consider the example Jesus gave the, the very night he was betrayed, just a little while later than when he spoke these words to his disciples. It's recorded in John chapter 13. Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, the disciples got together and they were preparing a Passover meal. And you remember the story because no servant had been provided to provide a particular function, which was to wash the feet of all the guests who come into a room, refresh them, clean them, sanitize them. Because there had been no one to do that. Jesus did that himself. He washed his disciples dirty no doubt smelly feet, because it would create a much more pleasant dining experience for all of them. And it qualified in Jesus' eyes as a suitable service for the Son of God. Nothing was too menial for him. If it needed to be done, and if he was there and could do it, his whole heart and mind perspective was, let's get on with it. I will do it. You can just imagine what other menial, distasteful, earthly tasks might qualify for a child of God to perform for someone. You see, pretty much anything, anything that would bring blessing to another person qualifies as a service that we could do. Here's some instructions given by the Apostle Paul that communicate the same perspective Jesus had. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, we read, Consider others better, could understand that to mean more important, than yourselves. In the very next verse, Paul writes, Each of you should look not only on your own interests, but also to the interest of others. That's atypical. That's unnatural. Suppose that newborn baby could actually understand words. Suppose that newborn baby could really understand uh, a situation. And suppose that newborn baby needing to feed every two, three hours. What about if in the middle of the night that newborn baby is getting very, very hungry? And the father wanting to watch out and care for the interest of his wife, he comes and says to the newborn baby, you know, the Bible says you should look more on the interest of others than yourself. I know you're hungry. How about we let mom sleep through the night? Do you think that'd work? If the baby could understand that, do you think the baby would say, would go along with it? Or would the baby just give a response? Absolutely, the baby can't actually go more hours without food. That baby would cry and squall the same way whether she had heard the words or not. That's human nature. 
It's built right in. I have a need, and I'm glad you're here because you can meet it. Consider, and Paul says, go along with that. Go along with that. Consider others to be better or more important than yourselves. Each of us should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then Paul in Philippians 2 goes on to say, your attitude. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Because that's the way Jesus looked at things. That's the perspective like no other. That's the purpose for living like no other that, that Jesus felt every day of his life. And so the third phrase in our statement here is this, to give his life as a ransom for many. For even... For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom simply means a payment made to secure someone's freedom or deliverance. Key question we could ask, it could take this form, what will it take to bring salvation to this person? That's, that's what Jesus was ultimately sent to do and came to do, to provide salvation for people who need it. And the question is, what would it take? What would it take to provide salvation for this person? For Jesus, it required him laying down his life physically on Calvary and taking upon himself all the judgment of God for the sin of the world. You and I are never called upon to, to do that. Our life couldn't accomplish such an awesome outcome. But Jesus could. And he gave himself, gave his life as a ransom for many. But we do have a life, don't we? Is it possible to ever invest our life, give our life, you know, use up the hours of our life in benefit to others to free them from something, to bring a blessing to them, as opposed to just using those hours and using our energy in a way that just benefits ourselves. And if it could bring salvation to somebody, If you could be guaranteed that one of your children would have eternal life through Jesus Christ and all it took, all it would take in addition to what Jesus did is for you to lay down your life on their behalf, would you not do it? If you knew for sure that they would be saved, that God would somehow use what you had done to work in their heart in such a way that they would be saved and they would have eternal life, would you not lay down your life in a moment? Would you not even be somewhat tempted to do it for any human being? Can you imagine what it's like and what it will be like and would be like to walk into heaven someday when everything is done to just be walking around heaven and having just one person, one person come up to you and say, I would not be here if it wasn't for you. Would that not have made your entire earthly life worthwhile? Even if you thought to yourself, that person? 
That person who annoyed me, I had to pray to God every day to give me grace and peace and strength, and I guess they never saw how annoyed I was with them. And God gave me the ability to, to peacefully wait on them. God gave me the ability to explain to them carefully, maybe again and again, how much God loves them, how the Lord Jesus. And, and somehow this person is saying, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. Would you not say <laughs> there could be no greater purpose in life than to live in such a way that there might even be one at the end of days, who would say such a thing? And what if there were more? What if there were more? Oh, we had a, we had a hero in my family when I was growing up. One who's going to walk through heaven someday in the flesh after all things have come together and, and there's going to be many who come up to this one and say, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. When I was growing up as a little boy, this one was a, was a hero in our family. It's my Aunt Flo. She's with the Lord now. Aunt Flo never married. Aunt Flo felt a call to the mission field when she was young. My father, rather than going to college himself, he, he worked and, and he paid the bills for his younger sister to go to Philadelphia College of the Bible. And she gave herself to missionary service. She went to Africa, to one of the more primitive areas of that great continent, a country that used to be called Tanzania or Tanganyika, now it's Tanzania. It used to be called Tanganyika. I remember as a little kid trying to say that and trying to figure out, remember how to spell it. Florence Michaels. She was one of the original first responders because she and a friend of hers, another single missionary lady in the African-England mission, they went to this part of Tanganyika, they learned, they were the first to actually get there. They learned the Swahili language. And they dedicated themselves to that task. They preached the gospel. They won souls. This would be back in the, around 1964, 65, maybe a little earlier even. They planted churches. In a day when women were not supposed to do any of that. But it was the two of them. There were no men there, no male missionaries, and they preached, and they baptized, and they established churches, having won people to Christ. And their name lived on after them. We would see her every five years. Back in those days, missionaries, they couldn't just easily get from here to there. And they traveled. She would go by ship across the Atlantic. And she would come home on furlough once every five years. And when she would come through the door, she was a woman that not a bit of lipstick ever hit her lips. 
No beauty cream ever was put on her face. She was one rugged pioneer missionary who considered others to be more important than herself. I have a feeling that from the Lord's point of view, he might say to Aunt Flo someday, maybe even this day, and look down and say, you see Mark down there? He's been nearly 50 years in the ministry. Probably wouldn't have happened if you hadn't been part of his family. Probably wouldn't have happened if he hadn't felt from the time he was four and five and six years old going to Sunday school and in the back of the room when we took our missionary offering, there was a, there was a little globe, a world globe bank that had a little coin slot in it and we would put our coins in there for, for Aunt Flo. Our little Sunday school would help support her. And my dad, when he would hand out the tithe money Sunday morning, somehow the one who was going to be contributing to Aunt Flo's bank always got the larger amount. Looking more on the interest of others. Investing your life in the service of others, and particularly of Jesus Christ. That's the kingdom perspective that is so radically different from that of, of the earth. So radically different of fallen human nature. And you and I can at times be more like Jesus' disciples than we are like Jesus. And for, we're forever needing to learn. And hear Jesus say those red words, it shall not be this way for you. Not you. Not you. You shall be like me. Giving your life, not to be served, but to serve. And to be a ransom. Now, we can't pay the big price Jesus paid, but every time we seek to serve somebody else, there's a price to pay. There might even be money spent that we could have spent on something else. There might be time given that we could have used differently. But Jesus, our sovereign, our savior, our example, he says, this is, this is how you should be. This is how you should, that's how we are. That's how we, those who belong to Jesus Christ, he would say, this is how we are. See, the ultimate price, Aunt Flo didn't have to actually physically give her life. She lived down her days in a retirement home for missionaries in Florida. I just Googled it. I just put in there, retirement home for missionaries in Florida, and up popped the only one that's there. A retirement home for the African England, Inland Mission. That's where she had been. I googled the Africa Inland Mission this week, and it came up that their archives are at the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. 
And I got in there and I saw some, okay, there's files, thousands of files. And it says, and one of these files contains prayer letters from these following missionaries. And it had a huge paragraph. It was really impactful to, to look down that that whole paragraph of missionaries listed whose prayer letters they had in their archives and get down to the M's. And there she was, Florence Michaels, in this old, old record, probably files away in some cardboard boxes in the back corner of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. I wrote him a little letter and said, you know, I'm interested in just wondering how much I can find out. I remember seeing some of those letters. Back in those days, they would come on. Anybody here remember air mail letter paper? It was onion skin paper so because it didn't weigh anything, and it cost a fortune to mail a letter by air from Africa to the United States. Generally, her letters came by boat, and they'd take two to three months to, to get to us. But my mom would send her responses on this airmail onion skin paper that she'd write very, very small on and fill up every scrap, and it's like we got a letter from Floey. It's not like today where the missionaries in the other side of the world can, can face talk with you like they're in your living room. Like there's no miles at all. In those days, there were miles and years between ever seeing someone's face. She laid down her life that way. And then Linda and I went to a college where two of its graduates, just a few years before we were there, were one of the five missionaries who, who laid down their lives in Ecuador. Jim... Elliot and Nate Saint. And there were dormitories carrying those names. They actually did give their lives as a ransom physically for many, and many have come to Christ because of that deed on their behalf. You see, but still, the ultimate example is Jesus himself. He gave his life for us. He died. <clears throat> he took upon himself all the wrath of God so that you and I might be freed from this earthly desire to just advance ourselves and to live selfishly, but to actually live for others and to follow in his footsteps and ask how. How can I be to this person, in a sense, what Jesus himself would be if he were here. So when Jesus says, for even, for even the Son of Man, and he means, and if I, the Son of God, the Son of Man can live this way, how much more you who follow me and have been redeemed by me. Live your lives in such a way, not that you would be served, but that you serve, beginning in your own family, beginning in your, in your extended community and to seek to do it in Jesus' name to help other people understand their need of a Savior.
Our final thought just says this. There's no greater purpose in life than to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and give yourself to the service of others, seeking to ransom them, to win them back, to apply his death on their behalf, to win them back from both sin and death. Heavenly Father, our life is so short. No matter how many years we have, eternity is forever. And only while we live these few short years can we live in such a way that we bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ and that we bring and help to bring men and women into the kingdom. Father, help us to realize the smallest thing sometimes is the most significant as we affect people. And so make us sensitive to the needs of people around us, to seek to help them, to lift their load, and to ultimately tell them the good news of Jesus Christ and the companioning spirit with whom we live. For we ask this now in his name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.